We'd like to remind you that all speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the region, for the convention, Region 2, or, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember to silence all cell phones, pagers, or electronic devices. It is my honor to introduce our first keynote speaker tonight. And um, Tana has been a, a dear friend of mine for a long time now in program. She was my first sponsor and helped me work the steps. Um, and one of the things I admire so much about Tana is that her ability to keep her sense of humor no matter what is going on in her life. And it's, it's amazing to me how she could to share with me about some of the stuff going on in her life and be joking and laughing about it at the same time. It's an incredible gift. Um, so please join me in welcoming Tana W. from Washington State. Hi, I'm Tana, compulsive overeater. Actually, I should say I'm recovering, you know, A, let's see, B, or is that a D? C, you know, it's like, you know, because I do have um, aspects of anorexia and bulimia, but I'm mostly a compulsive overeater. Um, I've been in program, it'll be 20 years, uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving this year, God willing. Um, you notice the food um, reference. I have um, had, let's see, 19 years and six months of sobriety from the bulimia anorexia stuff and I've had 15 years and about seven months six months of uh, abstinence from compulsive overeating <laughs> my weight has been as much as 30 pounds lighter uh, when I was in high school during more of my probably 25 30 pounds lighter more in my anorexic phase and it also has been 70 pounds heavier so I've, I've had a little bit of a weight swing in my, my program. I like to qualify that because, you know, sometimes, you know, it's nice to know that this program really does work, and, um, and sometimes it's just helpful to see numbers. Because I'm an engineer, I like circles and arrows and charts and graphs, and if I can plot it out and put it on a pie chart, you know, then I'm happy. So, geek alert. Anyway, so, um, what I call... Um, what I call my abstinence, I call it being clean and sober with the food. I think of it as food sobriety rather than, you know, because I remember when I first came into program and they talked about, you know, they'd say, well, abstinence is just a tool. This is before we moved abstinence as a tool and it's our primary purpose. We replaced abstinence with a plan of eating. And it always used to frustrate me because it's like, no, abstinence is not just a tool, you know. It's a plan of eating is a tool. Abstinence is the act of refraining from compulsive overeating and how I maintain that sobriety with the food is by following a, a, a plan of eating that works for me. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, back up. How I got to OA. I was about, oh, 27, I think, years old. I was one of those people that people would say, you're so lucky you got in so young. And I just think, used to think, shut up. But anyway, so how I got into program was I was talking, I had lost a bunch of weight in a commercial weight loss program, and I was married to a person who unfortunately had some issues and was pretty verbally and emotionally abusive. And I thought, you know, if I just lost, my problem is I have fat thighs. If I just lost the weight and had thin thighs, then I'd be treated respectfully. When I lost my weight, I was very thin. And you know what? I no longer had fat thighs, and it, it didn't help the marriage at all. And I was just to the point where I was just, I was just barely functioning. I was so depressed, and it was so difficult. And, and I remember going to the therapist, and she'd say, well, you know, might be, and then I started into the bulimia, the, the laxative abuse and the diuretic abuse. And I was compulsively exercising like crazy. And, um, you know, so I just lost, you know, 40 pounds. And all of a sudden, all the feelings are there. And I'm thin. And I still and having skinny thighs didn't help. And she said, you know, it might be five years or so before you can get this under control. And I'm just going, I'm going to be dead by then. About the same time, a friend of mine, um, I talked to a, a friend I worked with. And I was talking about eating an entire circular unit that people um, have for their birthdays. And the whole thing. And she said, well, you know, I'm a member of this program called Overeaters Anonymous. And she explained it. And I said, you know, but I don't have a problem with food. And, uh, you know, no denial here. Uh, I talk about, you know, in my family, denial is not a coping mechanism. It is a way of life. 
And so anyway, um, a couple months passed, and then a friend of mine, Gail, said, Tana, I want to go to this Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and I don't want to go by myself. You know, would you just come with me? And being a good flaming compulsive or good flaming codependent with both afterburners going, I could not let Gail go to the OA meeting by herself. So I went with her to the meeting. And I got there, and I'm sitting there in this meeting. It's an El Camino hospital. I'm like going, someone's going to recognize me from work. They're going to think, you are so effed up. What are you doing here? And so I'm sitting here, you know, watching everybody, and it's like, you know, I'm not a you know, just hoping to just blend into the floor. And, and Gail wanted to come back the next week, so I did. Because Gail could not be by herself, you know. I, someone had to go with her. And, um, and people would share, and i just think, you guys are effed up. Don't you know you don't air your dirty laundry in public like this? Skeletons are meant to be in the closet. Have you no shame? You know, and I just thought, you know, I thought, I just have a little problem with food, you know, but it's nothing like these people. Well, by the third meeting, it was like, again, I went with Gail. By the third meeting, it was like, sign me up. I found my lost tribe. And so I've been coming back ever since. And, uh, you know, I don't believe that Gail stayed with program. She left pretty soon after that, but I've been coming back for 19 years and seven months or something like that now. So um, basically... You know, the, you, I heard in program when I came in, I came for the vanity and I stayed for the sanity. And that's totally been my experience. You know, when I came in here, I just wanted to be thin. I'd lost weight. I wanted to stay thin. I didn't care about anything else. Um, I, you know, 12 steps, 12 weeks, you know, I'm out of here. You know, I've always been very studious, you know, good at, you know, project management, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and sayonara. You know, being an OA was not one of my life's plans. I didn't have it on my resume. Plan to join Overeaters Anonymous and be in the rest of my life. That was not, not part of my, you know, that was just not part of what I was going to do with my life. So um, that got me into to, to OA. You know, kind of some things I did as a, as a kid. You know, I, like I said, I'm, I went through a small anorexic phase in high school. Mostly I was a compulsive overeater. I did the 40-pound, 50-pound weight swing. And up and down and up and down and up and down. And yo-yoed and... You know, I mean, I did the sneaking food and hiding the wrappers between the, the sheets. You know, my mom would finally, she would, she would, my parents were teachers and they would get cookies at Christmas time from all the students. And she would wrap them up in butcher paper and write on the butcher paper, deer liver, to keep us out of these damn cookies. Because nobody, you know, my family was, we hunted, you know, it's like, you know, it's like if it moves, you shoot it, you kill it, and they want to eat it, you know. So, and, uh, you know, it's like, and then you grow your own vegetables. It was a little bit, you know, it's Eastern Washington State. What can I say? So anyway, you know, I came into program, and it took me four years to get abstinent over, over a long period of time. And I, I, had, I would have abstinence for six months, and then I would relapse. And then, you know, when I gained 35 pounds. And then I lost the weight again, and I got abstinent again, and I went back to grad school, and I relapsed. And gained, you know, get 35, 40 pounds. And, you know, and I was, every time, I kept coming back. I kept working the steps. I would call my sponsor every day. I would do, you know, and she said, Jump, I would ask, how high? Give me a vector, magnitude and direction. For those of you who are engineers, you understand this, you know, or mathematicians, you know. And it's like, I would just do, and I was like, I just want to be abstinent, you know. And I, I just knew I tried everything else. I tried the grapefruit, the Atkins, you know, commercial weight loss programs, yada, 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 you know, peeing on the ketone sticks or whatever you call them, you know. Everything and nothing. I could always lose the weight really well, but I couldn't keep it off. It just, you know, I would get in a relationship or, you know, and the weight would just up, you know, and then because I didn't know how to set boundaries. I just, I didn't, one of the things that got me into trouble is I didn't know how to say no. I, I just thought I had to say yes and be nice to everybody. And I learned in these rooms, no is a complete sentence. And I don't, and I can say, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. I don't have to say, of course I'll clean your cat litter box every day for six months. You know, I didn't, you know, I learned that I could say, okay, I'm panicking now. I want to say yes. And I could say no. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. So that's one of those things I learned. And it's learning these things that helped me become abstinent. My sponsors, anyway, I struggled for four years. And I just thought, will I ever get it? And finally, you know, I got a sponsor. And she just said, Tana, you know, I worked through steps, I think, up to step 10. And she said, Tana, I got a new sponsor. She goes, what step are you on? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to start step 11. And she goes, well, how's your food? And I said, well, um, it's not so good. And she goes, sounds like you're at step one. And I'm like, no. I worked the step 10. You can't flunk me back to step one, you know. And, uh, you know, I was just was like devastated. She goes, no, it's not about you failed, you know, the first 10 steps. You know, it's like a, you know, and I really, you know, viewed this as a real academic thing, you know. And, um, 
you know, so I just, she said, no, it's kind of like a spiral. You know, you're at step one, you're just at a different spot. And, and she talked to me about my plan of eating because I've done this very strict way and measured and, and it just, I would have one, two, pee too many and the two most dangerous words in the vocabulary would, would come out of my mouth. And that was F it. And I won't say the, the middle part, but you can guess what it was. And once I said that, I was off to the race. I'd one pee too many, I might as well eat Santa Clara Valley. You know, it's like one Snickers bar was too many, and the entire valley was not enough, and it wasn't pretty. And so finally she just said, you know, why don't you try the 301 plan? Three meals a day, zero snacks, one day at a time. I can't do that. I'm hyperglycemic. And besides, I tried that, and it ends up being three moderate tailgate parties at Safeway. You know, it just doesn't work, you know. And she, she goes, well, how about the 331 plan? Three meals a day, three snacks, one day at a time, no binge foods. But what if I gain weight? You know, and she's like, your weight's none of your business. You work the steps, you go to your meeting, you call your sponsor, and, you know, and it's, something happened. You know, being an engineer, I want to, I want to know all the scientific reasons, I want to be able to chart it and graph it, you know, and explain scientifically what's going on, and recovery didn't work that way for me, and it really just irritated the crap out of me. So, anyway, I started to just, it was this point of surrender, and I, I don't know why it happened, but it just did, and I got abstinent, and I started slowly losing the weight. And, um, and I've been, maintaining ever since pretty much with the exception of my pregnancies so when we come to OA we come here because of a common problem we're compulsive overeaters but what we sometimes forget or what I hear we sometimes forget in the rooms is we also come here because there's a common solution and that is God good orderly direction otherwise known as higher power the 12 steps and 12 traditions you know any commercial weight loss program does not have the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and that is what makes us so unique. And it's the 12 steps and 12, 12 traditions is how we recover. Now, um, I want to talk just a bit about the traditions. The traditions to me, I work the traditions like I work the steps, you know. And that is I worked them in order and I worked them with a sponsor. And then I worked them with another, I sponsor another person through the traditions. As, as a dear friend of program who will may, remain nameless once said, Tana, the traditions are in the book for a reason. They did not add the traditions to the second half of the book to make it twice as thick so they could charge twice as much. It's there for a reason, and, you, you know, you need to work it. And, um, and I found that working the, after working the steps and then working the traditions, I was able to use the traditions in my workplace and in my marriage at that time, and it just did amazing things, things like, you know, you know our common welfare should come first, personal, personal you know, group dynamic, the personal project success depends on the unity of the group, the unity of the research group. You know, what a concept. You know, so instead of getting in little pissy wars, you know, like, oh, you know, I don't like what they're doing, and then, and then, and then, all the politics, I could say, okay, this unity and us moving together forward as a group will ensure group success, just like in a way. You know, if we're unified and we practice the first tradition, it's amazing the recovery and how, how well the meetings get along. And so I've, I've done a lot of work with the traditions in my life, and I, I find that um, doing the traditions is as important as doing the steps in my recovery, in my opinion. Um, let's see, I talked a little bit about relapse, and that's been, like I said, part of my story. The main thing is I kept coming back no matter what. No matter what, I kept coming back. You know, my sponsor would say, get your ass to a meeting. If your ass falls off, you sit on it in a chair, and you're eat when you're in the meeting, you are not eating. And then my first sponsor and program scared the heck out of me. She's exactly who I needed, but she was really militant, and she scared me to death. I'm like, oh. And I worked through, you know, the first eight steps or so with her, and, and uh, you know, and, but it, she scared the living bejesus out of me. But, you know, that's what I needed because I wanted to get in the debating society and, well, you know, I know better and da-da-da-da-da, you know, and, and my abstinence, I'll do it my way. And she's like, well, and how well did your abstinence work? Or how well did your plan of eating work? It's like, well, I'm having a little trouble. Maybe you need to let go and take direction. This is God. Good, orderly direction. And for me, you know, people talk about God, and I used to sit and think, you know, what is this God stuff? Because, you know, God kind of sits up there, and, you know, I just, I, I believed in God, but I didn't, it wasn't personal. And I learned through these rooms and through my sponsor that God speaks to me through other people, you know, and that is how I get my direction. I hear pearls of wisdom from everybody, from newcomers to old-timers, and usually when I really need a kick in the ass, somebody like, uh, who will remain nameless, who's sitting right in front of me, will, 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 will just tell me exactly how full of it I am and how maybe I need to look at steps six and seven, you know. 
and my character defects. And, you know, he's absolutely right. And, um, you know, so it's God speaks to me through you. And so even though I have a concept of a higher power, I know that, you know, I can do the prayer and meditation thing and I'm sitting there going, you know, not hearing anything. But then I'll make a phone call and he'll hear exactly what I need to hear. You have no, many, you have no idea how many times I call my sponsor and go, wah, 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 you know, this is going on in my life. And, and she'd just call me on it. And then and I'd just be thinking, oh, F you very much. And she would laugh and she'd go, aren't you glad you called me long distance? And <laughs> yes, that's you. <laughs> Anyway, um, so, you know, one of the, I think it's so critical to do service and program. Service is what keeps me coming back. You know, it's like it's the fellowship and it's doing service that keeps me coming back. And I have so much fun with service. In fact, my sponsor had to kind of watch me for compulsive over service because, you know, I mean, I'd want to be involved in intergroup and then we, you know, we made pins for a fundraiser and then I wanted to, that was a region two, uh, the no-count intergroup uh, represented for region two and then world service and I did that for two years. And, you know, and it's like, she kind of slow down, Tana, you know, it's other people need a chance to um, get recovery too and practice. And, and I just loved it. It was so much fun. I mean, you guys make me laugh. Where else can I go where I can tell these, these horrible, tragic things in my life? And everybody's laughing hysterically. And when I get done, you clap. You know, I mean, geez. <laughs> so, and, and it's not because you're laughing at me. It's because you're laughing with me. And you know there, because you've been there. You have... You know, you have almost gotten a DWE on, you know, driving while eating, you know. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, as you're driving down the road and you drop your, your favorite binge food, you're doing this. You know, and you're trying to pick it up off the floor, you know, and your head's below, you know. I did a lot of that. It's amazing I never got an accident because of my eating. Um, you know, one of the things that's important for me is a couple, a couple of the things are not official program slogans, but one of them is, that I love is OA is not a spectator sport. You know, it's, it's so many people I see come in and they just observe and they don't dive in. And my experience is, and anything I say, take what you like and leave the rest because I could be totally full of crap and I admit that. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it requires just diving in. Giving service is one of the ways that got me abstinent and maintained my abstinence. Um, it's, it's fun. Service is fun. When I used to hear people go, service is flaming, service is flaming, and I just think, oh, shut up. You know, it just used to irritate me. But then I got involved in service, and it was fun. I had a lot of fun. I meet the most incredible people, and you make me laugh. And if you make me laugh, I have to keep you around. Um, it's just really important. Um, the other one that I think is really important um, is if God is your co-pilot, switch seats. And, you know, I'm like... I'm like, okay, God, you know, and I would say, okay, God, get in the car with me. We're driving to work. Okay, God, I need you to come into the office because if you don't, I'm going to bitch slap my coworker into next week, and that's not going to be pretty, and it's just not worth doing time over this. Okay, God, just come to my desk and sit down with me. You know, I'm not, I'm really a pussycat, you know. For those of you who think I'm like, ah, what, a, what a rough woman, but I'm, I'm like one of these people that was like, oh, everything's fine, and I'd be thinking, you know, I'll just go home and eat 16 chocolate, whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, so I... But I always had this nice exterior. And when I got in recovery, I got a little bit more testy. But, you know, it's like, I'm sure you can't relate. Mike, I know you, you can't relate at all. But it's like, I just realized, you know, it's like, okay, God, we're going to work. You know, and, but I, I realized that, you know, it's like, I wanted God to do what I wanted to do. It's like, God, you can be, you can be here and you can do whatever you want. And, and you can watch and you can support me from the sidelines. And I'll just do my own self-will run riot, you know, but it doesn't work really well. Because then it's like, you know, then you start thinking about having a close and personal relationship with the vending machines, and that's not such a good thing. And uh, which kind of describes my college experience of drinking and smoking dope and uh, for just the first two years, thank God. But, you know, and having a close personal relationship with the vending machine at night. And, um, you know, and I just, I just started to realize, you know, you need to let God do it because I can't kick my own butt into recovery. And I used to think it's that good old German work ethic. Well, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and have a little willpower. You know, you can, you know, just go to enough meetings, 90 meetings in 90 days, three times in a row. And, you know, you can get recovery, you know. And I would be stark, raving, abstinent, you know, white knuckle. And I just finally, it's like, okay, you have to let go. And God has to do it. God will remove the character defects. I cannot remove my character defects. I'm just as powerless over them as I am over food. And so just stepping back and letting go and letting God. Um, some of the challenges I've gone through is, um, you know, since I've come into program, I'm, I'm just really irritated with God a lot of the time. 
you know, they say, you know, God, you know, it's a good thing I came into program because otherwise I, would, I really do believe that programs saved my life. I would be dead if it wasn't for program because if it's not the eating disorder that would have killed me, it would have been the depression because it was just so horrendous. And, um, and I, was a, I was such a mess when I came into program. And a few of you probably remember who have been around for a while. And um, it was so painful. And program saved my life. It really gave me a new way of living, a new way of acting on life rather than reacting to it. And I'm so blessed. You know, when I see newcomers and they say, oh, I don't know if I can give up, you know, sugar, whatever, you know, and it's like, you know, honey, let me tell you, this is the easier, softer way. It really is. You know, and it's, it's so much easier now because I have a blueprint for a living that I did not have growing up. I always wanted the instruction manual when I was a kid. I was always the geeky kid who was kind of fat, who just never fit in. It was always last picked on the PE team, and it just was so shameful and embarrassing for me, but at least I got good grades. You know, so I, you know, but it's like, it just, in a small farming community, it just wasn't a cool thing, you know? And I just never felt like I fit in. I felt like I didn't know the rules. I just didn't know what to do. And when I came into OA, you know, I really did find my lost tribe. I found my family of choice. They weren't my family of origin, but I found my family of origin, but I found my family of choice. I was able to heal from many things. I got a blueprint for a living, the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. So now when I have issues, I can call my sponsor and I wah, 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 wah. And then she'd say, well, gee, Tana, what step applies to this? Or what tradition do you need to look at, you know? And, and that, is, that is so helpful. And so I have guides. I, you know, if I get into a real tough situation, I know I can go to my 12 and 12 or I can go to my big book. You know, or I can look at page 449 and read about acceptance and then develop a real resentment about that part of the big book. <laughs> because it's like... You know, acceptance is, you know, solution to all my problems. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to hear that. But you know what? I always hear it when I need to. Um, I am so blessed. You know, I, when I say, you know, when I, when I came into program, I feel a little scattered here. I'm having some ADD moments up here. You have to excuse me. But uh, I was such a mess when I came into program. Just so confused. And it was so painful. And I just, I mean, I would come to meetings. I would sob and sob and sob. And it's so different now. It's like I'm, I'm. I have such a sense of humor now, and it's because of all these people in these rooms, and I just, I thank you for that. I, I couldn't do it without you. Um, you know, I've gone through a lot of challenges. I mentioned that before. I've been really irritated with God, because if you say God doesn't give you more than you can handle, well, I'm really irritated, because God has a very inflated sense of my um, abilities. When I, I, if I moved from the Bay Area, I spent my first years in, eight years in program here, and then I moved to Colorado with my then-husband. And, um, you know, it's like, and a series of interesting things happened. It's like I moved back there. My husband, who at that time, who had really come a long way and was actually functioning well in the marriage, began to be abusive again. And, uh, but that didn't happen quite right away. I found out I was infertile, and I had to go through IVF to get pregnant. I just thought, you know, I was always going to do the pet option. We're doing the pet option. We've got four cats. That's fine. You don't get catnip's legal, you know, and you don't have to worry about getting pregnant. You don't have to send them to college, you know. But and then I decided when I turned 36, I would decide I would have a family. Well, I found out I was infertile, and that was that was really painful. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. My eggs are toast? You know, no, you know. And so I went to IVF with donor egg, and I had life-threatening pregnancy, of course. You know, I can't do, I'm always the plan B woman. I can never be the plan A woman. It's just so annoying. It's like, yes, Tana's on bed rest for most of the pregnancy. And I gained 50 pounds in my pregnancy, but I was clean and sober with the food. I had terrible preeclampsia, um, delivered a month early, and to a beautiful daughter, and she was she was wonderful, and things were doing things were good, and I was very you know, weight slowly came off, and I went through IVF again with the same donor egg, and or same donor eggs, whatever, and I was pregnant with twins, and I thought, well, this is wonderful. I, my sister has twins. This, this is great. You know, her twins are really cool. Well, you know, another life-threatening pregnancy again. Again, I'm on bed rest for most of the pregnancy. My then husband decided to check out and have a little. Uh, midlife crisis, so to speak. And uh, so then I'm, like, hospitalized several times and, you know, finally delivered the twins two months early, very premature. And, you know, one of the scariest things about this pregnancy was being told, you have to gain 24 pounds by the 24th week or your babies may not survive. And I'm, like, going, 24 pounds in 24 weeks? Oh, my God! You know, and so it's like, okay, well, we just do it abstinently, you know. And it just, it was very hard because... I was so, you know, I, I'd been thin for so many years, and I'd been in like a, you know, a, a size 810 for years and years and years, and to have to gain 24 pounds in 24 weeks, oh my God, you know, and um, and then 
I had, and, and she kept saying, you need to gain more weight. You need to gain more You know, and I'm like, whoa. You know, and it was, it was really, you know, I was, I was a real baby about it. And, uh, but anyway, so it's a good thing I did because I delivered the twins two months early. And I ended up gaining 70 pounds in this pregnancy, again, because of preeclampsia. And, uh, which is this high pregnancy, high blood pressure and real bloating. And it's, you know, it was, you know, getting hospitalized a number of times. It was very scary, very life-threatening. And uh, I gave birth to twins. They were in the NICU for two and three months. Uh, they came home on oxygen for about nine months. First two years, it was keeping the babies alive. I stayed sober with the food. Meanwhile, my ex, my husband at the time, was dating the nanny. You know, <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I laugh about it now. In fact, it was one of my OA friends, and they, they were sitting there the whole time going, you know, we support you, whatever you decide. I'm going, I don't know if I should get divorced or not, you know. And she finally sat down and she said, Tana, I have to tell you, he's in her Texas lilt. He's dating the nanny. And I, but, 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 you know, he just wants to take her out to a rock concert. And I was kind of offended because he didn't ask me to go with him and with them. And Tana, it's called Dayton the nanny, you know. And so I, I confronted him on it. And he's like, well, you're just so controlling because, you know, you just don't want me to do drugs and go out to concerts with a nanny. And it's like, hello, you know, what is wrong with this picture, you know. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of like that started the process of, you know, that. And also another thing that was really challenging that happened during that time is, um, he became, my, my ex became abusive with one of my daughters, and I talked to three people, I, my, my pastor, my um, counselor, and, um, of course, I talked to my sponsors about it, and a doctor, three of the people called Child Protective Services, so then I was in the system. This whole time, I am clean and sober with the food. If it wasn't for people in OA, I would have been just face down in the food, and that was, that's just a miracle. I don't know how I managed to stay really clean and sober with the food, and, um, you know, and it was really painful, but, you know, I just kept my sense of humor, and I don't know how I did this, you know. Maybe I just needed medication, you know. <laughs> I didn't realize it. Instead, laughter, you know, on program, and, and I, you know, pray like hell. And um, so, anyway, I asked my ex to move out of the house. He moved out, and, you know, it's like my um, dear friends in program would say, Tana, you need to take the high road. You know, you're really mad at your ex. You cannot do anything vindictive, vicious, nasty, or mean as much as you want to, because if you do... You're going to have to make amends, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing worse than making amends to an ass. Not to take his inventory. God knows he needed it, but um, <laughs> you know, it's just. And so that kept me on the moral high road, and that has been, you know, it's a, the steps have kept me out of trouble. Just the thought of having to make amends to somebody who really is making me angry has kept me from doing so many things. Oh, I could have had so much fun. I mean, I jokingly say I've got a quarter acre of undeveloped land in my backyard specifically reserved for my ex, you know. And, uh, but the thing is, is, is I, I never want, I mean, I joke, you know, of course I would never do anything, but it's, but I can't joke about it. You know, that's the cool thing about programming. It's like, and I'll say, Mike and Cindy or Mike and Ann, I, this is what I would really like to do. And they say, well, Tony, then you're going to have to make an amends. And that's just not going to be fun. So don't, do, don't go there because we're going to have to hear you bitch about it forever. If you, so anyway, um, so that was a lot of stuff going on. You know, in the meantime, you know, I'm living at 9,000 feet in the mountains of Colorado, 45 minutes from town. I asked my, my ex to leave and uh, the house because of the, the abuse situation, and I found out I had a broken foot. So here I have two-year-old twins who finally are made the growth chart. I'm going, I get to one meeting a week. I drive all the way down into Arvada, which is near Denver, 45 minutes down with kids in tow, and they come with me to the meeting, and I'm sitting there nursing them, and it's just a whole, you know, it's just a disaster. But people are so good to me. Everybody at that meeting, they carried me. You know, you know, my dear friend Mike would take, he would take us shopping, so I wouldn't have to have two-year-old twins in a, in a stroller or one-year-old twins in a stroller. And you know, and my th- three to four-year-old, depending on what year, was thrown over my shoulder trying to walk through the mall like this. Well, she's tantruming, and these guys are whining about wanting to be nursed. You know, I mean, Mike would come along and he would help me. He would help me grocery shop. He would help me shop for the girls' clothing. It was wonderful. My dear friend Cindy would come up into the mountains when we were so sick that we couldn't get out of bed. Actually, we were sleeping on the bathroom floor. It was a nasty case of stomach, stomach flu. And she'd bring up medicine. She'd drive 45 minutes up in the mountains. These are the kind of things that my friends in recovery, my program buddies would do for me. My sponsor, even though she had the audacity to go to Africa, you know, when, <laughs> which just cramped my recovery style because, you know, it is all about me and he, she should have remained here. You know, she has, she has helped me so tremendously, you know, with, with sharing your experience, experience, strength, and hope, being a single parent. You know, I mean, I've given, been given so many gifts, and, and, and people are just wonderful. It's just been incredible. You know, 
but it did, it gets better. You know, it's like God wasn't finished with me yet. It's like, okay, we'll have a few more challenges, Tony. You just haven't, you know, we know you can handle it. So, you know, I got divorced. I moved to Washington State to be closer to family. And um, so that was, that was really interesting. Um, and it's really hard to move. I moved from California to Colorado after eight years in program. And then after eight years in Colorado, I moved back to Washington State, my home. And the hardest thing about moving is you're moving away from all your friends and you're going to a new place. And even though you know there's going to be OA there, it's like I expected to be able to walk into the room and say, and they would all say, hi, Tana, we're so glad to see you. And they're give me a hug. And people didn't do that. And it was like, wah. So when I, went to, when I went to Washington State, I said, you know, this has been my experience and it's really hard for me, you know. So I said, you know, this is what I hoped you know, would happen. It never happened. So, of course, after the meeting, everybody came up to me and gave me a hug and said, Hi, Tana, we're so glad you're here. And so, you know, I've been just so blessed. You know, um, you know kind of throughout this, I've stayed clean and sober with my food. Um, you know, I'm, I, I just treasure the program. My, my daughter was recently diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and so that's, that's a new challenge I get to, to deal with. And, um, but, you know, it's going to be okay because I found people and programs that can guide me through this. And, you know, what I, when I came to OA, I had tried everything. I was desperate. You know, I just, I knew it was the last house on the block. And I tried everything else. But you know what I didn't realize? It was also the best house on the block. And, you know, I plan to keep on coming back from here on out. I just, you guys are great. Thank you. I heard for the first time at a convention, and uh, she shared on amends, and uh, I thought she was so funny and so articulate, and I learned a lot about amends. And at the end, <clears throat> I remember she said, uh, if I said anything today that has been of help to you, please come tell me about it afterwards. And if I said anything to you today that pissed you off, please go tell your sponsor or your higher power about it. And I love that, and I've been using that line for myself ever since. So it's with great pleasure that I announce our next speaker, Barbara Moore from Sacramento. Hi, I'm Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Who knew that could make me feel comfortable? Okay, let me just take a look at you. This is good. I'm from Sacramento. I have a home group. I'm abstinent. I have a sponsor. And I want to tell you a little bit about all of that. Um, I've been abstinent now for 12 and a half years and maintaining a 65-pound weight loss. This is so cool. Um, and... Um, I have a home group on Saturday morning, a Steps and Traditions meeting at Sutter Hospital, the corner of 28th and L, and I am here to tell you that it is the best home group in all of California. We have newcomers, we have old-timers, we have returners, we have middle people, we have angry people, we have people who ask questions, we have people who drive 100 miles to come to our meeting. Yeah. They'll go to any lengths, and it rocks, and everyone fights to share in this meeting, even when we're talking about the traditions. <laughs> so, I think that's it, yeah. Okay, so like Michael uh, spoke last night, I really liked what he had to say. Um, we have something in common. I, too, was taught by nuns in a public school which may explain much of our issues. Um, you brought back some very scary memories. And, uh, and I, and I want to thank Susan last night. Uh, I don't know if she's here tonight for dinner, but what, what remarkable 
talent and honesty. And I just came away with, um, you know, how she talked about, uh, you know, her, her character of chocolate. It sounded so loving and I love you. And at the end, it was the whirling dervish of fear and anger and edginess and the, and the, the phrase that she used, pleasure and ecstasy on demand. And that's what compulsive overeating was for me. That's what too much food did for me. It was on demand, and I used it every time I could. Todd, I want to thank you for your pitch tonight. I enjoyed it a great deal. You talked about the three, 301 or 301 plan where, where I grew up in a way. It was the, the 3L plan, three meals a day with life in between. And it, it, I heard that at my very first meeting. It was the thing I walked away with besides the fact that they wouldn't let me escape as soon as the meeting ended. Um, as a matter of fact, just to tell you what happened at that meeting, I, I arrived there and I sat at the meeting and I listened and they talked about the 11th step, which is not good for your first meeting. And, uh, and they said, uh, one woman cross-talked, but she, I think she saw fear. And she said, don't worry about the gods. I went, gotcha. And I had uh, decided uh, how many steps it was to the door at the end of the meeting um, and had determined, you know, that although I identified, I wasn't really interested in staying. And um, so at the end of the meeting, you know, I said, please stand if you wish and join us in the, you know, promise or whatever it was, you know, and I'm like, I just looked at the gal who I went with, who was my little Eskimo, and I said, I'll just sit here. I'll just stay right here. It's okay. Everyone stands up around me. Old hands. You know that little song, The Cheese Stands Alone. <laughs> this was a bad choice. Um, but I kept coming back because three women cornered me and prevented me from leaving. They have a, a, a tradition at that meeting to talk to the newcomers, um, and they stand between you and the door. Um, it was okay. They seemed pleasant. Apparently, they were taking bets that I might not be coming back, but I showed them. Um, you know, one other thing, Michael, last night didn't tell you how he was dressed and how he appeared, and I'm not going to say anything about that, but I, I do want to share for the CD Listeners, how I am dressed, I'm about 5'10", blonde, um, sexy hot. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <sighs> yes. Okay, it's an honest program. I'm not blonde. I'm a little shorter than 5'10", but the rest is very true. In order to get spiritually prepared for this um, share this evening to get one with God. I, I went to go see a friend, uh, Kristen, a friend of mine. She's like my clothing sponsor. And I have many <laughs> sponsors. And um, so I brought all the dresses that I owned and all the shoes and the, 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 the jewelry that I owned. And, and I said, okay, you have to help me pick what I'm going to wear for this. And she's not an OA, but she has our little issues maybe, and she's in another program, and cool. So I put on a dress. She goes, too big. I put on another dress. Too big. I'm getting a little irritated. So I put on another dress. First of all, the fact that I own more than two dresses should amaze all of you. And I put it on. She goes, it's too big. I said, I bought these last year. And, you know, okay, how is it too big? And so she shows me, and I try on another one. Okay, that one fits. Okay, there it goes in the good pile, and I try another one. And she goes, that one fits. And it's the one I'm wearing right now. She goes, okay, you have the safe one, and you have the the not-so-safe one. You should wear the not-so-safe one. So I brought them both with me because I'm not making a commitment. And... um, I, I'm, you know, I'm upstairs alone in my room, and I put on the black classic one, and with her jewelry, and uh, it looks really good. I'm feeling very safe. And then the voice, because you see, I did that meditation in the chair before I did this, 
And it said, these are people you can trust. Yeah, 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 and we're in the black, and we're in the black. Yeah, I mean, I heard Jody today talk about black is very swimming. And so, no, Barbara, you need to take, you know. So, Ian, for you, cleavage. <laughs> and that's also for the 2004 convention committee. Um, they know what it means. Um, and that's an amazing story to be able to tell you. Because 13 years ago, that's not how I lived my life. 13 years ago, I was eating at you and at anything happening to me. Twelve and a half years ago on October 7th, I went to my first OA meeting in 1995. I left that meeting to go to a birthday party about 40 miles north of Sacramento. And I took country roads. And I drove my car in excess of 100 miles an hour because I wanted to crash. I did not want to die, but I wanted to hurt. I wanted to be injured so that someone would take care of me, so that someone would make the pain in me go away. And I drove like that, and I didn't harm anyone, and I did not crash. And I arrived at the birthday party, having come from my first OA meeting, and did not eat any cake. But I did eat from left to right at this two picnic tables twice. And there were 50 people there, and I knew all of them, and they knew me. And I was alone. And I got in the car, and it was dusk, and I drove my car the same way, only faster. I wanted to crash. I couldn't take this pain anymore. And I had just stuffed myself with food, and it wasn't working. And I got home without crashing, and I was miserable. I was so disappointed I hadn't been hurt. That's how I was thinking. And at the time, my job required me to carry a handgun. I'm not a cop. And um, I sat on the edge of my bed, and I dropped the magazine out of the, out of the handgun, and I drew the slide back, and I took the bullet out, and I just dry-fired it, dry-fired it, dry-fired it, dry-fired it. Just crying. Put the magazine back in the gun, racked around, put the other one back in the magazine, put it back in the gun. And I sat there with it, and I looked. And I put it on my nightstand, and I went to bed. And I think that was my first prayer. Because I woke up the next morning and I ate breakfast. And I had life in between. And then I ate lunch. I had some more life in between. And then I had dinner. And I went to bed and I had my first abstinent day. I was a little curious. Because I went to work the next day and the same thing happened. And I didn't have more than three meals. And I wasn't eating dessert foods, which was what I identified as the issue. And I called somebody because I got, they threw, you know, phone numbers at me. And they said, call if you have questions. Okay, I have one. What the hell just happened to me? You know, I'm an expert dieter. I know how to lose weight. I know how to put it on. I've lost 20. I've put on 30, 10, 20. I mean, up and down. I have clothes from size 8 to 22 in my closet. Okay? I used to. And that's, and I had my, and, and suddenly things were changing. And I'm going to meetings. And I became, just to let you know, in case you're curious, the expert. Um, Yes, I want to get an A, graduate, learn it. Uh, actually, I wanted to start running it because they weren't doing such a good job. And I was going to get them all figured out, get good processes in place, some leadership. We're going to make this work. And, and then I'll move on. And, um, you know, it says in the big book, uh, Keys to the Kingdom, I turned 50 this year. Um, AA is not, uh, OA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. Mm. It is a way of life, 
and the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as they live. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. Well, I was going to prove them wrong. And I walked around with every piece of literature in my campus bag, and I went to meetings. I was going to ten meetings a week because, you see, I worked, and I went to OA because I wasn't eating, and I had a lot of time now because I wasn't, you know, speed dialing roundtable anymore. And... Um, and I was talking to people, and I, you, you want to know where the answer is? Let me find that in the big book for you. I got the 12 and 12 for you right here. Let's find it. You, you need a pamphlet? I got an extra. And I walked into meetings with my canvas bag, and I got a sponsor. Very interesting, because I chose her. It's a long story, but the bottom line was the question that came to me was, what are you most afraid of in this program? And it was God. Okay, well, which one of these five eligible candidates for sponsors that you're considering, Barbara, has the most God? And that's the question you want to ask when it's what causes you the most fear. So I got this sponsor that had the most God. She was loving and caring and kind, and it was the first true emotional, vulnerable relationship I ever had, ever had, at 37 years old. I learned how to cry. I learned how to laugh at myself. I learned not to take myself so seriously. I learned the value of service. It was remarkable. You know, and I'm here to tell you today, at 12 and a half years absent, that the monkey is off my back, but the circus is still in town. <laughs> I, I, I'm here to tell you I'm about as whack as it comes. And, um, and there's a number of people here from Sacramento that will line up and testify to that. Um, but I've learned, I just really can't do this with this dress on. It's just not working for me. It changes sexy hot to grandma. Um, oh, well, I think blind is better, I guess. Um, you know, I heard today a, a fellow speak, Lewis, who I've, I've listened to for years, and he said, uh, he talked about being, becoming hungry to live. That we, when we get abstinent, we start living. We become hungry to live. And then he threw out the cautionary tale, which really rang true with me. In When I become hungry to live, it becomes obsessive sometimes, sometimes to wretched excess, and that I remember that I need to have, if I have this bigger life, I must have a bigger program. So when I think I don't have one more minute to give you, I have to give it to you. I have to pick up the phone. I can't look at caller ID. I just can't. I don't. And I just pick up and say, hello. Because I need to talk to the newcomer that might be calling me. And I love talking to newcomers on the phone. They call on the answer phone. Because they've got their, I, I was just like them, their list of reasons why it may not work for them. Really tell me what it's like. Argue with me about what it should be. And they've never been to a meeting. And I'm like, rock on. I'll meet you Saturday at this meeting, et cetera. And don't worry, you can find it. It's right across from the cafeteria. And then they come to the meeting and they see all these people and I introduce them to others and, and then I see the fellowship begin. And together we can. I, I come from the school of thought that the most important word in the 12 steps is the first word of the first step. We. Where are we going to be without one another? Where would we be? I can't do these steps by myself. I can't practice these traditions by myself. The committee tries, but it doesn't work. I need you, and hopefully you need me. And it's a wonderful thing. I, I get to talk to addicts and alcoholics and compulsive readers in my job every day. And they tell me about how, you know, these 12 steps don't really work for them. Or I've done them and I'm okay. And I say, really, what's the first word of the first step? And they tell me, uh, I, wrong. Or they tell me, uh, admitted. And I said, no, wrong again. Why well, are you going to tell me? No, I'm not. 
I'm in a position of authority, so I don't have to. And, um, and you know, I'll see some of those guys later on, and they'll come back and tell me, we, and I said, rock on. You got it. And I, I, my life has just so completely changed. I'm going to tell you that, you know, I have a plan of eating, and it's not an eating plan. And it's real important for me to know the difference. It's not a food plan for me. It's a way of living. It's a way of life. I apparently haven't died when I missed a meal. Um, I'm really not sad about that, but surprised constantly. And life happens. And, and my choices now are about to act upon life rather than react to it. I, too, came in. I got a little angry upon entry and taking away my drug of choice. I got pretty darn angry. As a matter of fact, I only had two emotions when I came into program. Anger and absence of anger. And that was it. It's, you know, if I was sad, I was angry. If I was uh, embarrassed, I was angry. It was a knee-jerk reaction, and it was your fault. And I was going to make you pay. And then you guys started telling me about these steps, and you started telling me about this God thing, and you started telling me to pause. Pause. No, 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 no. Scalpel like tongue must use. I'm a trial attorney. Oh, I cannot get rid of character defects. They're my skill set, you know. I'm working step six and seven in program, and it's like, okay, pride, arrogance, judgment, intolerance. Okay, well, that's just the beginning of the list. And, um... I looked at my sponsor and I said, well, wait, if God removes those, I'm not going to be able to do my job. And, uh, and, and her comment was, well, give it a try. You know, and suddenly I'm listening at work and not responding. I'm being kind and empathetic. I'm learning what Evelyn learned uh, and she shared about today about, uh, you know, someone told her that, her husband had died, and she said, is the house in your name? Do you know where the check is? And then the next time, many years later, she heard about, I love taking other people's stuff. And she, and she learned. She said, I'm sorry. Are you okay? And that's, I, I, I learned how to listen and become a little softer. And suddenly, people were coming up to me and going, are you okay? You know, and it's an interesting thing to change and be changed by a fellowship and by a power greater than myself in my workplace. And then watch the culture around me have to deal with that. They're unsure. Is she going to go postal later? <laughs> they just are not sure. Um, you know, I came into program with a few items of judgment. Um, Shocking. Thank you. I, and um, one of them was I wasn't going to be one of those people that doesn't eat flour. I'm not going to be one of them. They're just a little odd. I mean, rigidity. Rigidity, really. Is it necessary? And um, so I was in about a nine-month, six-month debate with God um, about the flour thing, about two years into abstinence. And I'm like, hmm. Not really liking this debate, so I'm not going to talk to you anymore, God. And he keeps visiting no matter what. And I had bought a rocking chair, and I sit in every morning. And so, you know, here I am on a Wednesday morning after a six-month debate. I'm holding my own. And I'm just here to tell you I'm holding my own. A little angry, but I'm holding my own with God. And uh, uh, today you're not going to have flour. Hell, I'm not. My dog's looking up at me. Who's she talking to? And I said, hell, I'm not. No, no, today's the day. I said, no, I'm not going to be one of them. He says, yeah, hon, you are. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to do it today. I said, it's Wednesday and it's in August. You don't start anything on a Wednesday, let alone August. Think about it. I need a remarkable day to start such a thing. And he said, no, today will be the day. And I said, you know what? Mm -mm. You're going to make this happen. You're going to make this happen because I'm not going to do any footwork to help you. <laughs> Throwing it down at God. Yeah. 
going to do a little throwdown. And so I, I go and I said, well, you know what? I'll help you a bit. I'll, I won't have the bagel for breakfast. I'll have this. And I get that you know, you're not going to control anything else. I ended up being in court all day. And there's a deli across the street from the office. And they had had like a protest or something. And there was a run on the food or whatever. And I got out of court late. And I walk over to the deli and I said, turkey sandwich on wheat, please. Mm, we don't have any more wheat. I'll take white. No, actually, we don't have any more white bread either. White? All we have is pumpernickel. I hate pumpernickel. I said, you're, you're really joking me, aren't you? And he's going, no, sorry, I'm not, ma'am. And I said, okay, just throw whatever you put in a sandwich on a plate. So I'm sitting there and I'm eating lunch thinking, oh, yeah, so you think you're all that and a bag of potato chips. Okay, fine, God. So I continue on my day and I'm going out to dinner with friends. And they're not OA friends, but they were going to a restaurant we haven't been to. And I automatically turned to the pasta page. Thank you very much. It's my nature. And they said, oh, look at this. And so they're all, let's all try something and share. Well, sharing's not really in my skill set. So, but I said, okay, okay, I'll try. So I'm ordering something that is not pasta. And um, the bread came to the table, but I was engrossed in the conversation with a very cute, well, guy next to me. So suddenly that was more interesting than bread. Again, a miracle. And so I go home that night and I realize, fine, one for you, none for me, God. And that was the first day of my abstinence without flour. Now, it's not my choice. I'm just here to tell you. And I do some footwork to try and maintain that now. And I do the morning meditation. I'm on my knees first thing. And I've shared this before. You know, I wake up in the morning. And one thing I learned early in these rooms is that this is a gift of abstinence. And my gift arrives every morning. Every morning. And when I'm on my knees... In the morning, usually I'm at a woman of a certain age now, so it has to be after the restroom. And, um, you know, things happen. Jody talked about that today. She said things happen when you get older. Um, I'm kneeling there, and I have my hands out because I know that the gift of abstinence is given to me. I can't grab it. I can't take it. And it's delivered to me, and I envision it every morning. It's beautifully wrapped. It comes in different sizes. Sometimes there's a bow. Sometimes there's ribbon. Sometimes it's a plain brown paper wrapper. But it's always a gift. And I just put my hands out, and I accept it. And then I pray for the grace to accept it and respect it that day. That's my prayer for the day. And that's how I start my day. And that's how I've done it now for almost 12 years. I didn't start praying right away. Just want you to know. <laughs> it wasn't working for me. And it's a wonderful it's a wonderful vision for me. And so when I'm in stores that, you know, like the 99 cent store, and they have those little boxes, I'm always walking by, look at all those little gifts of abstinence they've got for sale for 99 cents. I mean, these are the things that go on in my head. And I just, it's such a wonderful feeling for me. And it's a freedom. Um, I love this book. The big book of Overeaters Anonymous. The drunks like it, good for them. Really, let them read it. We can help them. And the thing of it is, I are one of them, but um, I need food was my general anesthetic. It took care of everything from the age of 12 on. It did. Until it didn't work anymore and I needed a little extra, and that's when I started using them other things. But food was always there for me until it stopped working. And I walked into a therapist's office, I was a little angry, thought it was my family. They only live 3,000 miles away, but I thought it was their problem. And I remember he said, tell me a little bit about yourself, my favorite topic. And within the first five minutes, I told him 
Everything I have put my mind to in my life, I have accomplished. I graduated college. I became a teacher. I went to law school. I became an attorney. I bought a house. I have a car. I have a job. I'm an expert. I have awards. And I can't seem to keep the weight off. I lose it, but I can't. And he's just, and he's this skinny ass little runt therapist guy. And he sits there with this eyebrow. Really? And then he waits a year to tell me about Overeaters Anonymous. And with good reason. Probably wasn't very accept. I needed a little tenderizing. And so, God bless him. God bless him for helping me find this place. And, and get turned on to some of this literature. Because today the things that I've learned are things like this. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. When I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. So the more I focus on what I'm not getting, the less I get it. The more I focus on what you're not giving me, the less I get it. But when I'm writing the gratitude list and when I'm thankful for what I have and when I show up for what I need to show up for and I do the footwork, suddenly my life is grand. Suddenly my life is filled with humor and laughter and friends like I've never had before in my life. I'm coming to the end and I want you to know I've been coming to this place for 12 and a half years. I turned 50 years old this year, and that's a good thing. Well, there's good news and bad news with that. But the good news is I feel real good. <laughs> and the bad news is really maybe for you because my grandmother lived to 102, so <laughs> I want you guys adjusting my wig and making sure the teeth are pushed in when I'm coming here. Because I plan on coming back to OA one day at a time. And, you know, you irritate me regularly. You disappoint me often. But you are always there for me. The only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. I want to be part of a we I want to be part of OA, I want to be abstinent, and I would love to be able to do God's will. Thank you for having me, and thank you to the San Jose Convention Committee. about the silent auction tonight. Um, it closes promptly at 10 o'clock. And there's only two um, credit cards that accept MasterCard and Visa. And it's only accepted tonight. So we'd like to ask people, you know, to uh, claim your winnings tonight. And for those who don't pick up tonight, um, you can pick it up tomorrow morning at the closing. We do need lots of help in order to close the silent auction. So anyone who's uh, willing to help us out, um, meet us over at the Monterey Room at 9.30. And um, we will explain what we need help with. Um, the boutique room, um, they are now starting um, the $5 sale. 
They will sell you a brown shopping bag for $5, and you just stuff as much stuff as you can possibly get in that bag, and it's yours. Um, after 10 o'clock, um, we're calling it a free-for-all. Just come in and help yourself. If you feel like leaving a seventh tradition, um, we'll take it. Um, because all the net proceeds do go um, to Region 2. And Frank is up. Thanks. Hi, I'm Frank. I'm a compulsive reader and the registration chairperson. Please join hands with the people at your table, and the words to our closing are located on page 6 of your program. As we close with always promise, I put my hand in yours. And I was asked to mention that we need you to help move the balloons and decorations over to the dance floor. Okay. Ready? I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. Oh, wow.